I'm in trouble, aren't I? I know, I know. I went a whole Monday and no podcast for you. And then I went a second Monday and then still no podcast for you. And I know, listen, I know I said I'd be here every Monday, but listen, I got a good reason. I'm not making excuses here because it wasn't because I forgot about you or because I got tired of this relationship where I gave up the whole podcast thing. No, it's not it at all. It's because I just spent the last seven days in the jungle with five amazing guys, helping them go deeper and deeper into their inner game, healing, going to talk about emotions, about the past, about fears, about insecurities. I'm talking about we were doing some plant medicine, some Mexican sweat lodges, tears were shed, secrets were revealed. There were some metaphorical deaths, some flying over pyramids and, and talking to future selves. It was wild. And I'm going to share it all with you right here on the Red Velvet Podcast. So stick around and let's get into it. Welcome back to the Red Velvet Podcast. I'm your host, Pablo Rosario, and I know I got some explaining to do. I feel like Ricky from from Lucy, who goes to Lucy and is like, Lucy, you got some explaining to do. That's a horrible Ricky Ricardo accent, but you get what I'm saying. Because not only did I miss this past Monday, but I missed the one before that. And I feel terrible. My bad, brother. My bad. But like I said, I had a good reason. It's not like I was out here wilding, being lazy or anything like that. I was actually uh, doing something great. I was hosting the first ever Red Velvet Retreat down here in Mexico. Now, the the retreat, what was this about? Like, it wasn't an, an event. That's an understatement. It wasn't a boot camp or anything like that. It was really a retreat in the sense that the guys that went, they went and left their normal everyday lives to come into the jungle, into the jungles of Mexico to get healed. The whole idea of the Red Velvet Retreat is for them to escape their normal everyday lives, even the, the normal hustle and bustle of the United States and to go somewhere where they can work on their in themselves, where they can discover, you know, the, the parts of themselves that have been hidden, figure out why they've been the way they are, what's been sabotaging them, what's been in the way, what they can do to feel confident again, to feel good enough again, to get over their fears and insecurities, to become the man that they see themselves in their head. That like that was the retreat in a nutshell. And the reason why I wanted to do this is because, well, you know how I already do the boot camp. I have the Red Velvet Bootcamp. We do it every year in Vegas. And the purpose of that one is for them just to get their, their outer game, like the outer portion of their red velvetness, have that get done. You know, and during that time, we learn how to talk to them and how to present yourself, how to own a room, how to talk, that kind of stuff. But as also a big part of the Red Velvet movement, you know, what it is to be a red velvet man is to address your inner game. Because I would argue that that is 80%, maybe even more, 90% of everything. It is the cause and the root of everything. It's funny. One of the guys in the group, he asked a question about he was actually in, uh, he was talking to a woman online through a dating app and she asked him, hey, you know, why are you looking for a short-term relationship? And his response was a joking like, hey, I'm not, I'm not ready to get married, which is a funny thing to say. You know, I know his sense of humor, so it's a funny thing to say. However, though, I know this particular gentleman, and the, what came up for me was that that joke, 
it came more from a place of fear or rather a place of worry of getting judged or uncertainty or feeling bad for wanting a short-term relationship. And it's with that understanding that then he came up with the most beautiful, the most mature adult answer I've ever seen, man. Like super proud of him. He ended up saying, he ended up speaking his truth. That's what he did. You know, he said that, listen, you know, I got out of a long-term relationship. I'm looking to better myself. And I'm looking to get to know people first. And I'm not opposed to uh, a long-term relationship. I just need to get to know people first. And that was such a fantastic answer for him because on so many levels. Because one, on, on, on the outer surface, it was perfectly communicated. You know, um, you know, it, it was a way that he said, like, hey, listen, I'm answering your question. This is and he communicated in a way that doesn't that didn't turn off the woman, and he communicated in a way where he just wasn't like some some of these, you know, fuckboy type of guys that just wanna have sex all the time and stuff like that. But what I was even more proud of was the fact that he recognized where he initially was coming from and decided to operate from a place where he owned who he was, where he owned what he wanted and wasn't afraid of communicating it. And he wasn't abandoning himself in order to get somebody's approval. And so that's what I, like that example right there is the core behind Red Velvet. Cause yes, we're here to talk about dating. We're here talking about self-improvement and becoming a better man. And yes, there are tactics, tools, and tricks to do that. But it is this inner game stuff that is at the core of everything. That once you have that, everything else falls into place. I mean, after making this suggestion with this gentleman, he came up with this answer on his own, just like that. And it was beautiful. Like, I didn't have to tell him what to say. He just ended up figuring that out on his own because he was coming from a different place. And and that's why, you know, this retreat had to happen. And I want to do it different, too, because I, I know other retreats and other men's you know, gatherings, like they fall into one or two camps, right? They either, or rather, they fall into one of three camps. So either they are, they are either A, they are super macho, where it's just a bunch of screaming and a bunch of like rough stuff and you're having fire hoses sprayed in your face and things like that. Which by the way, I want to do something like that. I'm not bad mouthing it. There's like, it has its place, but that I feel is incomplete. And then there's another version where there are people who are super woo-woo, that they're like, listen, we're just going to meditate, bro, and we're just going to just channel our energies and align our chakras and, you know, go on a fast and a juice cleanse for seven days. There, there's that. And for me, that is, again, that's not bad. Like, it has its time and its place for that. Yet, that I feel it's too much in the spiritual and it leaves out the masculine aspect, in, in my opinion. And then there's, you know, what you find in the middle of people just, you know, trying to force talk therapy down men's throats. And there are some guys who are open to that. But even that has is gaps. Now, what I wanted to create, I wanted to do something different. Now, I'm by no means saying that what I created is the best. It's just another option. But given what's out there, I want to create something completely different. Seeing everything that's out there, you know, I it either tackle like too much masculine or tackle just the mind, and which is the camp that I came from. What I realized as far as being down here in Mexico is that my training was incomplete. 
my healing and my growth was incomplete. I came from a place where it was typically like, oh, what's your mind? Like, what is your beliefs? And let's talk about your trauma and things like that. And I realized that that is only part of the healing. Because you can heal that, yet there are other aspects of you that need to work together in order for you to to be whole, to be fully healed as a human being. And that includes the body. That includes healing the spirit. That includes healing your energies. And listen, you can deny all you want, but those things also play a factor. Like you can you can work on your mindset all you want all day long. However, the body has a mind of its own. There's a book called The Body Keeps a Score. And what that book is about is about how trauma and, and, and just shit is stored in our bodies because the body remembers. It's in the memory of the body. So you can work on a mindset all day long, but if you don't incorporate the body, then you're still going to be working with one hand tied behind your back. And even then, let's say, you know, you do the whole, you know, hyper masculine thing. Cool. I get that. Which again, it works as a time is placed. Yet that is only addressing an extreme one side. It doesn't address the intangibles. The, the, and, and as a matter of fact, let me not say that because it does in one aspect, but the intangibles that I'm talking about is the memories of the body, the spirit, the energy. And, and I'm talking about on another world level. You get me here and check me out. Like I know if you know me, I've been going through a little change lately. You know, I've been going through the change where I have been about tactics and mindsets. And I've been really open up lately into the world of, you know, spirit and energy. And because it's real, like it's really, there's certain intangible things. And the best proof is the best proof is, is this, is that anyone who's worked with me can tell you that there's something that happens when everything clicks. And then when you're in the zone and you're talking to women, and then if someone were to ask you, so what's happening? You know, how are you doing this? Nine times out of 10, it's, I don't know. It's just an energy. It's just something that I'm feeling. And that's what I'm talking about. And right now for a lot of people, for a lot of men, their energy is off. It's off and it could tell in the way they look, the way it shows on their face, the way they go about in the world. And so for this event, I wanted to address that. I wanted to use all of the elements of here, the jungle, like the natural pieces of the jungle. And I had it in the jungle for us, but for a specific reason, because here in Mexico, especially where I'm at, there are lots of indigenous practices here that are used, that have been used for thousands of years to heal um, people in general. And so I want to incorporate those practices into this. I want to take the new age. I want to take the old school, the indigenous, the ancient, and incorporate all that to create a new type of healing for these guys. And so, boom, I got into it. We made it happen. I got my friend William. William and I, we've been working together. Actually, we used to work together when we used to work for Neil Strauss. We worked together for six years. He's a psychotherapist and a sexologist over there in Canada. And I brought him over to help out with the psychological side. And I brought in a whole bunch of other people. Like I, I brought in a freaking medicine man. I brought in a Mexican uh, sweat lodge. I brought in, uh, you know, what else? A couple of energetic healers, like in an acupuncturist. Like it was wild. I brought in all these people from all these different places with all these healing modalities to heal these fellas. That way we can have a 360 view and not only heal mentally, but also physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And the funny part, here's the funny part. The funny part, I wasn't even gonna do this. 
The funny part is I wasn't even planning to really do this event. Like it wasn't in the game plan. My girlfriend Kirby, she she suggested it to me, but I was like, nah. I'm like, mm, I'm not. I don't feel called to do it. I don't think it's the right time. But then, one of the attendees, he has sent me a message saying, hey, is this thing still going down? Because I took off work, and I was like, yo, okay, that's my sign. I guess I guess we're into it. And so I started planning this thing. I want to say about wow about maybe seven weeks ago, maybe eight weeks ago, put a whole event, maybe six weeks ago, maybe less. Damn. But I, I went and got together. And luckily, luckily, because it was here where I already live, it wasn't that difficult to organize. I just had to, to make sure people were available. But anyway, it happened and went down. It was beautiful. I mean, lots of guys completely transformed. I mean, one guy, his face completely changed. Another person said by the end of it that he learned how to fly. Like, like not literally. Well, he kind of did during the plant medicine ceremony. But he was like, listen, like I feel like I can fly now. And another one, he learned how to love. And his wife, funny enough, his wife sent a message to Kirby because they're friends. And she was like, for the first time in 15 years, I saw the man that I married, that I envisioned him to be. And so that's how powerful this stuff was. I'm telling you, man, like these guys here, they, they, they went on a journey, a nice vision quest, and they came out on the other side, completely different men. And it was beautiful to witness, very beautiful to witness. And one of the most powerful aspects of the whole thing, like I don't want to give too much away in case if you're listening, you want to come to it next time, which by the way, I'll put a link in the, in the I'll put a link in the caption or the description for the wait list for next year. So you could be notified when things start opening up and get first crack at it. But not to give it any, anything away, but one of the most powerful aspects of the whole event, this is something that a lot of the guys said was great. And it was the group aspect. You see, after every exercise, the guys had an opportunity to share their experience. We got in a closed circle, so it was very intimate, and everyone got to have their stories be heard. They were allowed to be seen. And the beautiful part about that is that the group aspect, the reason why I love it is because it's a twofer, meaning that by listening and experiencing and sharing, you're both getting value no matter which side of the table that you're sitting on. Because there's just something that happens, like just when you just talk about what's going on with you from in, 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 a, in an intimate setting to be listened to, to be heard, and to be acknowledged. Like that does something for someone. And for a lot of guys, it was hard for them to share, but it was beautiful to do it in a container where guys were like, listen, it's cool. I'm listening. I'm here with you, man. Because I can relate to what you said. And thank you for sharing. That's something that does that to, to a guy. And then on the other end, for the person that's listening, it's also very powerful because when you listen to other people, like here's the thing, the world is like, life is funny in that it's a mirror. And what I mean by that is that 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 you recognize outside of you lies within you. And in this context, a lot of guys when listening, they end up having epiphanies. They end up going, oh, wow, I see, you know what, that story that, that story clicked with me, clicked within me because I'm going through the same thing. 
And so for this podcast, what I was thinking, I was like, yo, you know what? You know, like, you know, since they couldn't come to the event or they weren't at the event, you know, let's see if we could replicate something with the with the sharing portion. And so what I want to do is that I want to share a couple experiences with you that I had. Because yes, even though I was facilitating it, listen, I had some breakthroughs myself. I mean, just being in that energy, you end up having breakthroughs yourself as well. And I, you know, I want to take this episode to share them with you and hope, you know, and to give you the, the the retreat experience of what it's like to, you know, to share these things, to learn, and in hopes something unlocks within you that maybe you see yourself in these stories, and maybe you get your little inner game epiphany, just like these guys did at the event. And so, you know, that's that's what we're gonna do today. You know, I'm gonna share for you these stories. I'm going to. Uh, you know, share my epiphanies. I'm gonna get vulnerable because that's what we did at the event. We got vulnerable, man. And I mean, and plus, that's what we do here on the Red Velvet Podcast. Because then, what are we here for? You know, if we're not if we're not here vulnerable, if we're not here to get better, then what are we here for? In order to do that, you gotta strip away the mask. You can't be this whole playing a character, so to speak. And it's funny because during the event, we did this one experience called the Temescal. And I'll explain it in a little bit. But there was a portion where I got to pull out a card. And the card was the intention for the experience. And mine was transparency. And I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. I mean, I think I'm transparent. But then the more I started to think about it, I have to admit that there are times where... You know, it's a little bit of a mask and I play a character, so to speak. And, you know, it's it's more of a, I would say it's a coping mechanism, if you will. <laughs> you know, it's something I've been doing for ever since I was younger. And so to be transparent, apparently you connect more with people. So that's what we're going to do here. And that's what I'm going to do on this episode. So I'm going to share with you three just Three really quick, impactful stories of what happened at the boot camp and three big epiphanies that I hope resonate with you. Now, there were many more, but, you know, I'm not trying, I'm not going, I'm not trying, you know, talk your ear off here. So let me just share with the most impactful. Let me start with the beginning, the first one. And that is about being late. Now, me, I fucking hate being late. Yo, I hate being late. I hate, I, my, and I even hate it when other people are late. Like my whole mood changes when I'm late. Like you would never believe it. And in the past, yo, I was notorious for being late. Kirby, right now, my, my girlfriend, I was late for our first date for her. And even Curly right now, I mean, actually, no, I'll take that back. In the past, I've been notoriously late for my own coaching calls. Like how do you do that? I had this one girlfriend one time, like she called me out for being late and she's like, yo, you know, you, you said that you were going to be here at this time for the date and you didn't make it at that time. And then you never said anything about it. And for me, like I brushed it off and I shut it down. I got defensive a little bit. And, but the reason, because I had shame around it. And the reason why I did is because I felt like, like I actually, it's because I knew deep down that I broke my word. That's why for me, like when you when you are late, you are breaking your word. And that's something I never fixed because like I had shame around. I was too busy feeling bad to do something about it. And I was wondering where this came from. Like this whole thing about being me being late. And it hit me one time where I was on a family trip to Toronto. 
and we were going to see the Toronto Blue Jays play. And I was just super excited. And during this time, I had moved out of my house. I was living in Los Angeles. I was working for Neil Strauss. And during that time, I had started just to be different. Like I, I started to take on some of Neil's tendencies and started to be you know, very punctual, very detail-oriented. And when it came time to go to the game, I was very excited because I wanted to see batting practice. And I was ready, ready to go. But my family wasn't. And they were not ready. And we just kept being later and later. We hop in the car. We catch traffic. Boom. We are even later. And in the car, I'm just angry. Like, I'm pissed off. Just mumbling to myself. And I'm like, see, my fucking family. See, this is why I'm late. Because of you guys. Because you guys, I'm like this. And you don't want to change. And you guys just don't care. And I just, just kept going on and on. And I realized that. My lateness came from my family. And in that moment, I was like, no, like not anymore. I do not subscribe to that. I do not subscribe to that family pattern anymore. I refuse to because I'm not that guy. I don't live in the house. I live a different life and I live by different standards. I choose to live by different standards now. I no longer choose to live by your standards. And from that moment on, it was just, listen, I'm just gonna make, I'm make my best effort to be on time all the time. And it was funny, at the event, that's how I run my events. And if you wanna know a little behind the scenes of what it's like to my events, I'm very punctual. Like when it comes to my events, I try my best to be very punctual and I expect the same of my staff. Why? Is it because it's just, it sends a message. Like for the people that we are serving, you know, if you tell them that, listen, we're gonna start at this time, it just shows them that, listen, that, that you're reliable, that you keep your word. And even if they show up late, that's completely fine because it's, in my mind, it's comforting that you are gonna come with what you promised. So if I promised you that I'm gonna teach you X, Y, and Z on this day at this time, if you see me show up at this time, that's me letting you know that, listen, I came here to fulfill my end of the deal. So that is why I, I, I'm, I ain't gonna lie, like I'm a little bit militant when it comes to showing up on time. Now at the event, on day one, the camera guy comes late from lunch. And not only that, he comes in strolling casually, just you know, walking up and stuff like that. And in my head, I'm like, yo, like first off, the lateness is just, it's just irking me. But second of all, there was no pep in his step. No remorse, no, no, oh shit, let me, let me hurry up. Nah, he was just taking his taking his time. And so and so normally, like you would think, you know, Kirby told me, hey, you know, you should have said something and say something to him. But for me, I'm like, listen, I give everybody one strike. I give everybody, you know, the benefit of the doubt, like, listen, something, you know, you know, something may have happened. And, you know, I and I like to give people a chance to redeem themselves. But the second time it happens, oh, now we have a problem. Second time, now I got to say something. And so second day, he arrives on time, but he doesn't have his equipment set up. And not only that, my partner, William, is late as well. Now, in the nicest voice, like after, like on our lunch break, in the, in the nicest way that I can, because underneath I'm, I'm really bothered, I, I tell the guy, say, hey, listen, let's be on time. Like we start at 10.30, we start at 10.30. Do whatever you got to do to prepare beforehand. And, you know, each person was saying, you know, one thing or the other, but I was like, listen, just do what you got to do, prepare beforehand. Now, the funny thing is that the next day, the cameraman comes to me. He was like, hey, Pop, you know, I'm sorry about being late before. It's just I was walking back here. And the location at where we were, it was, you know, like I said, it was a villa in the middle of the jungle. So to walk, it was like maybe a 20 minute 
maybe three minute walk to go and get food. And and hearing that, I was like, mm, okay, I get it. I get it. You know, it's it can be a long walk. And I can see I can see how someone can be late. Got it, right? But then day three happens, and then the medicine man, the guy that was supposed to lead us through the plant ceremony, he arrives late. And now, like, I, like I, I'm, I'm, like, I'm perturbed to say the least. Like, I'm angry. And I tell him, it's funny. I told, I texted him actually. I think the night before, and especially for sure the day of, where I was like, listen. You are on at 11.30. It doesn't mean arrive at 11.30. It means you are on at 11.30 to pre- and so that you can prepare what you need to do to do it. So he arrives about 10, 15 minutes late. And actually, and then he, no, actually, I'm wrong. So he arrives maybe five minutes late, but it takes him like 10, 15 minutes to set up. And so I admittedly, I, I was a little short. I was a little short and heated. And I'm thinking to myself, like at this point, you know, with the, with the series of people being late, I'm like, yo, come on. Like, you know, these people being late and freaking they, they, they're all casual. Nobody wants to do anything big. Everybody's playing at a mediocre level. And and, and this is, you know, here's one of the things like, and, and listen to that. Here's what I started to realize that that I associate being, le- being late with mediocrity. I associate being late with poor intensity, poor intention to focus, poor attention to detail, and a lack of drive to be late. I mean, to be great. Like, that's how I've been interpreting it in my head. And so the whole time I'm here thinking like, yo, these people, I'm like, come on. Nobody wants to be great. Everybody wants to take their time. Do they not understand what we're doing here? And again, and, and yes, you know, I, you know, I get how this is coming off, especially the guys who, you know, if you're one of the guys who were at the event, you're kind of getting a little behind the scenes. But in my head, I'm like, yo, do you not get what we're trying to do here? We're trying to do something great, and it starts with us. It starts with uh, it starts with us being great, and that's where it originates. And so, and it starts with being on time. That's how the participants are going to get the energy, and it comes from us. And so, if we're walking like a days ago, and we're not taking this serious, and we're talking, we're not taking this as if it's the Super Bowl, then it's not going to translate in our work. And that's my thing, right? These people have flown in, spent the money to fly. These people have trusted us with such such preciousness. And in my mind, I'm going to deliver. From my mind, we're going to blow your mind. We're going to come in with the most life-changing experience you will ever have. Like That's my mentality. And I expect that intensity from the people that I work with. And so just like being late, it just shows me for me, like the way I was interpreting it at the time was that like, yo, like you really not about this. Like you, you really are not trying to do anything great because this doesn't matter to you. And so, but it's funny though, the medicine man during his uh, little intro speak, he actually apologized for being late because he said that he was trying to find a place to get breakfast for his daughter. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And me having a daughter myself, I was like, you know what? I completely understand. I would do the same thing. I would prioritize making sure my daughter have food uh, over anything. Now, granted, he could have communicated that, <laughs> all right? He could have communicated that. And maybe we could have you know, food for him here at the event because we did have a chef going. However, though, I was a little bit more understanding. And then in that moment, I was thinking to myself, like, yo, why am I such a Nazi with being on time? Well, one, it, it starts from actually like my parents, you know, and because my parents are notoriously late and it's something that they haven't changed in years. And it's something that I associate, like I said, with people who don't care. 
And for me, like if I'm late, the meaning that I end up making about myself is that I'm a low performing person because I can't be consistent enough to show up on time. So when other people are late, what it did, it brought up something that was actually within me. So it technically didn't have anything to do with them, but more had more to do with me and how what they were doing was bringing up a wound and insecurity, something in me. And so like for you, if you're listening, you know, if you see something that that pisses you off or there's someone that irks you, if you have a pet peeve of yours or something like that, rather than looking at the outside world, consider that maybe the outside world is reflecting something that's within you. Something that you have shame about. Something that you're afraid that people are going to find out or that people are going to think of you. In my case, they just brought up to me that, that you know, what I think of myself when I'm late. That I don't think I'm good enough. That, I'm sh- you know, that I should be ashamed. That I am ashamed because I broke a promise. That I'm not a good person because of it. That I am a low performer because of it. And the fact that I even judge myself as a low performer, that's a whole different conversation we'll get into. But, you know, it was just reflecting and increasing something in myself. And so then I took time to think and was like, well, okay, so if I wasn't operating from this place, what would that look like? Well, number one is that I would, you know, be a little bit more, um, you know, gracious because every single one of these people, I mean, they had more or less a decent reason for being late. The cameraman had to walk 30 minutes. My partner, William, you know, there was a dog around and the, and the dog licked his water. So he had to get new water. And then the, the medicine man had to feed his daughter. So I'm like, you know what? That's actually understandable. The other thing also is that in the grand scheme of things, things are never going to go perfect. And the mark of a great leader is the ability to adapt and still get the mission done. And so, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, shit's always going to happen. So I can't be mad at it. I got to stop controlling stuff and just be like, all right, cool. How can I adapt? And then thirdly, the other thing as well is that, you know, having this in mind also protects the working relationship. Because one thing is that, you know, I can be, you know, a hard ass or whatever and say about being being late and I could be angry and then, you know, some may say it's understandable that I would be perturbed. At the same time, you have to understand what I realize is that you can, I can't do this alone. And so while I, you know, I can still set the expectation and maintain that standard of being on time at the same time when it doesn't happen to not flip out, to not be sure because then that creates a poor working relationship. People won't want to work with you. And any great leader, the mark of it, it's really you want people who, who will run through a brick wall for you. And the way you do that is not by being unpleasant to work with. Still maintain the standard and call them up to be greater, but don't be such a dick that nobody wants to work with you and then you have no one helping out. So that was a big epiphany for me here. And what else we got here? And well, I'm here, well, real quick, I'm here looking right now. We've been at this for about 30 minutes now. So <laughs> what I think I'm going to do is, ah, should I break it up? I don't know. Well, let's go one more story, right? Let's go one more story. And then, you know, you know we're going to write it out. We're going to write it out because you know what? I know you, you know me, you know how we do. Once I get on my rant and I feel like we got this relationship. So let's go on to the next story. I'll just try to keep it a little succinct here. So the second story real quick, the second lesson is you can take more than you think you can. 
you can take a whole lot more discomfort than you think you can. Now, for me, one of the things I admit about me is that I will always take the path of least resistance. In other words, the most convenient path. I will so like listen, I will avoid cooking. Like I will order out just to avoid doing dishes. Like I could easily make something at home, but because I don't want to do dishes, I will, and I don't want to experience that discomfort, I will order out. And part of the reason is um well what is the reason why well because i don't know why it's just something that it is i just i just don't like discomfort that's just what it is like that's part of the reason why i don't do many ice baths or why i don't go in the ocean because i don't like that discomfort and but here's the thing what's been the cost of that because there is a cost to avoiding discomfort now in my relationships i've been called out before for minimum effort plenty of times. The reason business coach I hired called me out on my social media saying that my social media does not match up what I'm trying to put out. And you know what? She was right. I mean, I was out there with a scraggly beard, uh, t-shirts, you know, freaking hair, all a mess, glasses from freaking 2003. So yeah, I mean, the discomfort thing, it did have a cost. And you know, for you, you your discomfort may be something else. Like the discomfort you may be avoiding is the discomfort of feeling fear, of anxiety, of taking new chances, the discomfort of maybe growth or whatever it is that you're doing. You might be avoiding it as well. But here's the thing. You can't live a life without discomfort. It's impossible. It's like trying to live life without the sun. It's just a fact of life. You're going to go through discomfort. And if you think about it, spending your time trying to, and your energy trying to avoid discomfort, I mean, all that energy, I mean, I guarantee you it takes less time to deal with discomfort than it does to avoid it. And that's what I was doing, man. And so at this event, man, I got I got face-to-face with my discomfort. There was one particular instance, and that is the Temescal. And if you don't know, the Temescal is a Mexican sweat lodge where you go in, it's completely dark, it's hotter than a sauna, and they're in there chanting, playing their drums and everything. You're there for like 90 minutes. And it's wild because it's something that's been around for thousands of years in different cultures. And in it, so it's just like being in a hot-ass sauna that you can't get out. But before that, we did an ice bath. And normally I'm like, uh, nah, hate the ice, hate the cold. But freaking as luck would have it, I was the first one up. They're like, listen, you're going first. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. Boom. So I step in, I duck my head in to get out the way. I get in the ice bath. Immediate, I'm like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. This sucks, this sucks, this sucks. And I was almost going to come out because it felt like I had knives stabbing me through both of my ankles. But then I found this zone. I found this zone where I was just zenned out. I found this middle ground where just me and the ice became one. And so then my my capacity for discomfort increased. And I noticed that my breathing wasn't going fast like or anything like that. What I found was my breathing was just normal as if I'm just having a regular conversation. And then I got out and I wasn't trembling or anything like that, but I was just chilling, normal. I was like, huh, that's interesting. Cool. So I get into Temescal, heat time, sauna, it's pitch black. And there was a couple of times, I'm not going to lie, there was a couple of times where I was like, yo, I'm getting out of this. I can't take this. I'm out. And, you know, not to mention, 
<laughs> I had the other guys there. So I was like, yo, I want to leave, but it looks bad if I'm the guy who organizes this and I leave. And so I got to a point where I was like, I'm just going to stick it out. Just focus on the breath. One breath, two breath, three breaths. Just keep going, keep going. And then boom, it was over. I made it out. And at the end, I jumped in the pool, which was also cold. So back to cold. I'm like, yo, what the hell? But I had a realization by the time I got to the pool. I realized that discomfort is where growth is. Discomfort is where your destiny is. And that is where your glory is. Not only as a man, but also as a person. Because all those times, the ice bath, the Temescal, and the pool after, those, it's funny, I started to see those like kind of like weird invitations. In my mind, it, it, it transformed into like, oh, this is inviting me to the next level of myself. And so, you know, in order to do that though, you have to increase your capacity for discomfort. And when you increase your, your capacity for discomfort, you can take more. You don't flinch when things get hard. When you're on about, you're talking to a woman and you're feeling discomfort of anxiety, you don't run away. You're able to handle it more. You're able to take it. Or maybe you are in a, in a, in a discomfort situation with your wife, with your lady, and maybe you're fighting or maybe she's asking you to do something you don't want to do. Maybe she's triggered you in some way and you're trying just to stay calm within your body. Being able to expand your capacity for for comfort, (laughs) being able to expand your capacity for comfort, a lot of words right there, it will help you take those moments and sail those rocky waters a whole lot better. And so for me, those moments help me realize like, listen, I got a lot more in me than I think I can. And if I want to grow to become the man that I want to be, if I want to become the leader, if I want to become the father, the, the husband that I want to be, in order for me to do that, I have to increase my capacity for comfort. Otherwise, I will never be that man. I'm a, you'll forever be a bitch. I plainly said, you don't increase your capacity, you're forever going to be a bitch. Played by, you know, living by, oh, it's too cold. Oh, I'm uncomfortable. Oh, I'm just, I'm just freaking out because I, I don't feel good enough. Listen, I, I only empathize with you up to a certain point. Up to a certain point, I'm not going to enable you anymore. I'm just going to call you out. You're just being a bitch. And, 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 and it's not me too. look at your life. Just look at your life. I would say... I think Tony Robbins said this maybe. I could be wrong, but you know, the quality of your life is in direct proportion to how uncomfortable you're willing to get. Like play that last part back. The quality of your life is in direct proportion to the amount of discomfort you're willing to experience. Think about it. If you're out there in the gym and you're trying to get big, what's the discomfort of the soreness, of your muscles being tight, all the lactic acid building up? Well, Think about it. The guys who are buff, who are lean, they're able, they're willing to take the discomfort of not drinking soda, you know, eating right, of laying off the candy, of going to the gym consistently, of doing the hard workouts, of being sore. They're willing to do that. Think about the guys who are great at social dynamics. These are the guys who are willing to endure the discomfort of going out, of getting rejected, of awkward conversations. The people who are great in business, same thing. They're willing to endure the uncertainty. They're willing to endure the the, the sleepless nights, the you know loss of relationships because you're working on your dream. 
Or let's say you are in a relationship. What about the people who are great in relationships? They're willing to endure the discomfort of a fight without without getting triggered, without reacting in a place out of fear or or anger or anything like that. Uh, you know, they're ready to endure the the uncomfortableness of like, listen. I don't know if we're gonna make it. They're willing to ride that out instead of jumping ship. They're like, listen, I'm gonna ride this out even though I'm unsure. So that's the other big epiphany, which is the quality of your life is in direct proportion to the amount of discomfort you're willing to experience. Whew, that's a lot there. I know that's a lot. Let me take this, let me take this swig of water right quick. Hold on a second. You know, so which brings me to the last epiphany of the podcast or rather the episode there was a lot more but i just want to give you the heavy ones and it's this it is that the fear that i have within myself it's not mine it's my father's let me break it down so during the temescal the sweat lodge there was a moment where we each went around and we gave this sort of prayer and in the prayer, we talked about what is it that we wanted to let go and what is it that we wanted to call in. And for me, one of the things that I wanted to let go was lack. I, you know, I was thinking about like, I, I got this lack. How can I get rid of it? I always feel that, you know, I, 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 you know, I don't have enough. And I always feel like I'm trying to survive above water. And it's all about financially. And during the Temescal, I had this vision, like this image in my head of above me, there's this river. This river and that river represent like abundance and the flow of the universe and everything. And so, you know, the thought came up to me, well, how can I take my financial needs and put it up there above me? How can I put my financial needs into the river of flow so everything's taken care of for me and repeatedly and not stressful? And then I was like, hold up, but this doesn't feel right. This isn't it. What is it really? And I, I didn't get an answer. Like I was asking myself, like, what is it? And then it hit me. It's not my financial needs that I wanted taken care of. It was a feeling. It was a feeling that I wanted to get rid of. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. And what was that feeling? Like I was, I was like, all right, well, what was that feeling? That feeling was lack. That feeling was fear. That's what I wanted the river to be taken away. And then I remember... And during the Temescal, it was interesting. Like at the beginning, I got a, I got a message. It was like a clear as day. And it was for one of the guys in the group. And it was like, tell him this. Tell him that the anger he has is not his. It's actually his dad's that was passed down to him. And if he wants to grow, stop trying to heal that anger, but just give it back. Because that anger is not his. And then that made me think about me and my dad. Because me, like... I'm literally almost a, a, a weird carbon copy of my dad. Like his name is Pablo Rosario. My name is Pablo Rosario. I'm not a junior. On my birth certificate, this is Pablo Rosario. He and I, we are very similar in a lot of ways. I have a lot of things uh, together. And you know, you know, and in my healing, you know, I've grown a lot, and I know a lot of my shit has to do with him. And in this time. You know, that's when it hit me that my lack and my fear, the thing I've been trying to solve was never mine to solve. It's never, it was never me. It was someone else's problem I was solving. And like, can you, can you imagine that? Just solving somebody else's problem? Are you solving somebody else's problem right now? Because I was. 
you know, but the way my dad grew up, I mean, listen, I'm not mad. This is definitely not a bashing session because my dad, he grew up poor in the Dominican Republic. Like, my, my man, he missed school because he had to wash his one pair of pants. There have been plenty of times he went to sleep without eating dinner. And so, like, I get the lack. I get him growing up with lack. I get him you know, having certain perspectives about finances and, and certain energies that he has around it. So I get it. I'm not mad at him. But what ends up happening often in family dynamics is that the children end up taking on the unresolved problems of the parents. And in my case, it feels like I took on my dad's lack because I'm trying to think like, where did it come from? I mean, they, my, God bless my parents. I feel so lucky. Like, they did a great job. I never went to sleep hungry. I never went to sleep cold. I had my needs, man. I mean, yeah, there was maybe one or two toys that I wanted that they were like, no, it's too expensive. And looking back, all right, probably it was a little while, the things I was asking. But for the most part, like, I, I grew up fine, you know, when it comes to that. We grew up in a nice home, lived in the Bronx, but then we got a house out in the suburbs in Jersey. So for me, I'm like, where did this lack come from? And that's when it hit me that it was his. I ended up taking it on unconsciously. And so, you know, I started to think, all right, well, I got to give it back. This is not mine. If I want to heal this lack, I got to give it back to him. And the same thing I would say for you, the, the stuff that you have, like your lack, your fear, your anxiety, your lack of self, you know, your lack of self-worth, consider for a moment that it's not who you are. Because maybe this is something, could it be that this is something that was passed down to you from a parent that you unconsciously took on? And with that said, the next thing is like, who are you without that? Imagine giving it back to your parents. This is what I did. I imagine giving it back to my dad. And I started thinking, like, who am I outside of that? Who am I without that? Who am I in, Who am I at my core? And it started to hit me. Me, I'm like, I'm like a discoverer. I'm like a discoverer, an explorer, you know. And the, the thing with me, like, my mantra is, let's figure it out. Let's figure it out. Like, I'm not scared to try anything. And I actually see it as a puzzle, something to discover, something to figure it out, to figure out. And for my dad, it was completely different. Because for him, I imagine, like, he couldn't, like, failure for him meant death. And it was understandable because, listen, there weren't, he was in a constant state of a lack of resources. And again, this is, I haven't talked to him about it, but this is just a sense that I get. That in his state, when there's lack of food, there's not many resources, like, yeah, you can't take chances. You can't be explained in a space of, let me figure it out, let's explore, because you're too busy trying to survive. Now, I'm super grateful that that was not my childhood. I love him for that. He did everything he could to make sure that I never had to feel like I was surviving. And because of that, he actually gave me the gift of the way that I am, which is I feel I have that space to be like, well, let me figure it out. That's the way I naturally am. Like without any of my shit, that's a Pablo natural trait. And so one thing that I would encourage you to do is, again, you know, with your parents, like, yes, okay, they have their thing. But also, what was the gift behind it? What was the gift behind the way they were with you? And so for me, the one thing I keep reminding myself is, one, it's not my story. Anytime I hear that fear, I feel that fear or that lack coming up, I see it as something else. And I kind of look at it and point to it and I kind of imagine it on the other side of the room and go, you see that thing over there? That's not mine. That's just my dad's thing that's popping up. It's, it's not mine. And then I just return back to my mantra. Who am I? I'm an explorer. I figure it out. That's what I do. 
and doing that, that's my new practice. And this, by the way, happened this past week. And so while I'm not an expert at it yet, this is something that I'm still working on. This is going to be my new practice, and I'm very excited to see where it goes. And this is just one of the many epiphanies that I had. I mean, maybe I'll share it on another podcast. But I mean, overall, is that the, my, my lack and my fear is not mine. It's my dad's. The second thing is I can handle discomfort. I know it now. I put myself through it, and I look for it more so I can expand more. And you got to do the same. And then lastly, being late, listen. It's just a reflection of something in you. So anything that you're triggered, anything that the outside world bothers you about, is honestly a reflection of something that was in you, something that maybe you don't like about yourself. And I want to invite you to uh, look at that. Look at that. That was a whole lot of mumbling. Let me say that again. I want to invite you <laughs> to look at that. And so, boom, baby. Like that was just a taste of what happened at the event. Those was just my experience of it. Now, over the course of the event, I sat down during dinner. We recorded two episodes of the podcast, and it was just guys. We were just having a regular discussion. One where we talk about first dates, and you know, we have a debate. Is that you know, as far as is Cheesecake Factory a good place to take a woman out on a first date? Which I say it is. Other guys have different opinions, but you'll hear about that. But the other episode, you'll hear about them and their experience through the Temescal, which was one of the most pivotal things out of the whole event. So you'll get to hear them out there, and you're going to get an inside look at what it's like to be at the event, and you'll hear from the people themselves. And so with that said, that's all I got for you today. I mean, we almost hit the hour mark, but that's what happens when deep shit happens. You just got to share. You got to tell the people, and that's exactly what it was like at the event, and I hope that in listening to this, you have something pop up within you. Hopefully, you learned something. And if you did, I would love to hear about it. I mean, feel free to email me about it. I'm at pablo at pablojrosario.com or send me a DM on Instagram. You can find me there, Pablo Rosario. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's about it. All I got for you today. And so I thank you so much for listening as usual. I appreciate your attention. Don't worry, from here on out, we are on our back we are back to our regular scheduled program where we'll be back every Monday. And with that said, thanks for listening. I'm Pablo Rosario. This is a Red Velvet Podcast. I want you to stay velvet out there and I'll catch you on the next one. Later. Later.